This just sucks. This is awful. This is actually opening what, what I wrote down this morning is the opening of what I had to say. I sat staring at a paper for 20 minutes having no idea what to put down. Becca's just been, her general refrain is that I hate this. She means she hates the sorrow of it. She hates it because death is not the natural correct order of life. Death is the enemy. Death is Jesus' enemy. And that can be abstract. There's times like this when it isn't. And then I'm going to just put that out there up front. I think there's sometimes a forced Christian piety of an over-realized eschatology, of bringing the promises too far forward. That we think faith should have us pretend like this is okay. And it's not. Let's to look at the verse of death. Where is thy sting and think that it's been completely defanged? But it's clear that it still has sting right now. A woman is facing the rest of her life without her husband. Three girls aren't going to know their father. This church has lost a presence that was bigger than life. We won't see our brother for a long time. So we should look to death and we should hate it. We should prompt a cry in our hearts of come Lord Jesus because that's when it finally gets put down. He will come and put an end to this. This despicable thing we put under his feet. And all weekend I just hope it just gets mounted somewhere so that we can walk by it and remember that it's been thrown down. So it is fine to hate it, but we also, there is hope here. There's hope for Busby. Busby is cancer free. Because Jesus lives, death has been robbed of its finality. This was not the final word in Busby's life. Because Jesus lives, his body is whole. 
because Jesus lives, he is home. Busby had a way of hugging you that engulfed you. And it made you feel safe and loved. I'm 6'1 and north of 220. It's not easy to engulf me. And he did it every single time. <laughs> he is now in the arms of our Savior. He is safe. And he knows that love to a degree that we have not yet tasted. And Busby will never feel the sting of death again. It is done for him forever. And some of the sting has been removed for us as well. The great power of death was the finality of its separation. <clears throat> That's not final anymore. We will see him again. He has not gone off into the abyss. He's not gone off into the void. He's not gone off into judgment. He's gone somewhere that we are going. I said, and I was trying to be careful in my words, that Jess is now facing life without a husband, without Busby. The girls don't have their father. <clears throat> we don't have him around, but we have not lost him. We will see him again. the youngest and healthiest among us. We'll see him in a hundred years. Benjamin was born yesterday. If he lives 120 years, he'll still meet Busby in 120 years. And in light of eternity, that's a blink. It doesn't feel that way, but it is. And we can know that his daughters will know their father the way we know him. I'm not in this life. But they will. So yeah, it's been removed to some of its sting, but still we suffer. And we don't need to pretend like because it's a momentary thing that we shouldn't be suffering. Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus. He knew that Lazarus was going to be raised in about 20 minutes. He knew that the separation that was causing anguish amongst those people, amongst his brothers, sisters, amongst the people who loved him, he knew that anguish was going to go away within 20 minutes, not 120 years, 20 minutes. But he looked at them and he saw their pain and he wept. He wept with them. And he looks at us, and he sees our pain, and he sees Jess's pain, and he sees the girl's pain, and he weeps with them.
God's providence has been strange in this situation. For some reason, Terry's away. I wish he wasn't. And somehow we have Riot and Shelley here. Both. We've been working through a book that we picked last year that one of the main themes is suffering. And as we were approaching this period and going through what we were going to be going over, and Terry and I were breaking down what was going to be covered this weekend because of a miscommunication between him and I, this is a week that we were supposed to cover one of the cleanest passages about suffering. We're not talking, we're supposed to talk about government or slaves this week. It was just how all Christians suffer and how we're supposed to suffer for good and how there's hope in suffering. And as I was doing my preparation yesterday morning, <clears throat> I felt led to really focus in on that aspect of hope and suffering. And I can't think that that was an accident. So I've basically lopped off most of the front, 90% of the front portion of the sermon that I was going to give because I think the ending portion is something that we should hear. So to keep this short, I'm just going to pick up actually where we were. And this feels odd and both right because this is... So I'll just read it and then I'll try and get to the point I'm trying to make. Finally, all of you, this is what Terry spoke about last week, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For, and this is starting to quote Psalm 34. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? That is to say, in the context of this passage, who is there to make you suffer if you're zealous for what is good? And of course, we want to shout all sorts of things. And Peter recognizes that. Because it, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Even if you suffer, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 
being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. There's two big ideas there, suffering for what's good and offering a defense. Peter wants to encourage us to suffer in alignment with the will of God and not be tempted to make compromises and do evil in attempting to avoid suffering. It's not our issue right now. But he does say something that applies to suffering in general. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. He's talking about the people who would persecute these people and cause them to suffer. But we can hear that clearly as talking about all the things that would cause us to suffer. Have no fear of them. And then he pushes them to have a defense, to be able to talk about why they're that way. And this gets lifted up as a verse to talk about apologetics ministries and philosophical arguments about the rationality of God, and that's really not what we're driving at here. Because the context of this verse is suffering. The thing that prompts people to ask these Christians what the hope is within them is not because they're living their best life now and they have the magnificent car and everything's going right for them and people are like, man, I saw it was on television, but this looks so much better. Tell me how you do that. That's not what's happening here. It's them seeing them suffering for doing good. It's seeing them looking at a path and accepting that suffering comes this way and doing it in a way that displays no fear for the things that can make them suffer. And they want to know what hope is within them that can cause them to look at things that cause them to suffer and not fear. And those two ideas, the answer to what the defense is and the cause that enables us to suffer without fear are the same. It's right between the two. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Being prepared to make a defense. In your hearts, honoring Christ the Lord is holy. In your hearts, Revere Christ. Set him up high. Look to him. See him for who he is. Let him shape how you see things. Know that your life is in him so that you don't need to fear. Know that he is the risen Lord so you don't need to fear these people. And when they ask the question of why you hope that way, the answer is because my Lord's risen. Now, there's a manipulative path to take here. Because I'm definitely not urging us to, yes, we have a chance to suffer well so that people will be impressed with us. That would be crass. Nor am I asking anyone to white-knuckle a hope in Jesus. 
to grin and bear it and just keep repeating the Heidelberg Catechism that my only hope in life and death is Jesus, I'll get through this. Nothing works that way. And Peter knows nothing works that way because he has a pattern in this book. He reaches a point where he starts to ask something that naturally is impossible. He did this last when he was making a very tough exhortation to people in slavery. He reaches a point where he can't simply push a moralism. So he stops and he just talks about Jesus. And that's what I want to do. It's a really weird passage. There's Noah and baptism and spirits in prison. It's one of those passages that everyone has a different view on what it means. But it does raise Jesus up as one who can see us through suffering. It's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Christ also suffered this same way. He came as a man, he was faultless and sinless, and yet he suffered to do good. He could have avoided doing good. That's the whole temptations in the desert. But he suffered to do good. So we have a model. But more than a model, we know that we do good and suffer. He was sinless and suffered. So his death, death couldn't hold him. And he was raised. He was like a man like us, put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He was raised to a different body. With continuity to what it was, we'll recognize Busby. But also a difference to it. That made it at time, sometimes unrecognizable. And he was raised into this body, and then he went to the evil spirits, to the spirits who had tormented men in the times of Noah, who had led men astray, spirits with which we would be rightly terrified, powerful spirits. And he went to them in prison where they'd been placed so that they couldn't do the same to mankind. He went to them in prison and he proclaims his victory. He looks at them and tells them, your power has been broken. The greatest weapon you have, death has been crushed. You came at me with all you had and you killed me. But I've risen and my reign will not end. And then he ascends to the right hand of God. Where he sits with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. There is none above him. There's none who can challenge his reign. And because of that, he can bring us to salvation. He brings us into a life of faith 
typified by baptism. And he sees us through the storms of this age as he saw Noah through those storms. And he brings us to where we're meant to be. And because of that, we can have no fear. I'm not saying because of that, you're going to walk out of here and have no fear. Or because of that, we feel no pain. But we know that he is one. We know that he reigns. We know that he has those who are his who have gone on before us. And we know that he will return. And that's why Paul can say what he does. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of the eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality, and we could add, and a diseased body must put on a body free of disease. When the imperishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Father, take care of our brother. Take care of his wife. Be a father to his children. Be with each one of us. Lord, help us to mourn. Help us to rejoice, too. We thank you that we knew Busby. <laughs> Sorry. We thank you that we know Busby. And that we will see him again. 
we thank you for your son who makes this possible. We thank you that he was willing to die for us, that death couldn't hold him. We thank you that death is never the final word. Lord, you are our hope, our only hope. Be exalted in our hearts. Help us in this period. We praise you. Amen. I'm going to keep this short. Um, we'll do communion. And then um, Becca will do one more song. And then there's a... After party seems like the wrong term. There's a gathering at the Matsunos. And I encourage all of you to go. <laughs> must be loved to eat and drink <laughs> on the night that Jesus died, uh, was arrested sorry he had a meal with his followers it's typified by this bread and this cup does a host of things. In it, we can encounter and meet with our Lord, which I think every single one of us needs. It also reminds us of his sacrifice. The physical reminder of the hope we have in him. It's also a meal that points to the future when he talks about, when he gives it, he talks about how he won't eat it again until he eats it in the next age. He won't drink of the vine, I think is how it's phrased. Which means we will dine again. And it means we will get to dine again with Busby. Eating and drinking a great feast. So come, grab some bread and some of the juice, and we will we'll take it in remembrance of Jesus, in remembrance of what he's done, and looking forward to that great feast where we'll dine with our brother again.